God is so good to us, isn't he? Um, you know, as we have been in Second Kings chapter 5 for a couple of weeks, and that first week we looked at this Syrian war hero who everybody in the military wanted to be. He seemed to have it all. And then he contracted leprosy. Then nobody wanted to be like him. Suddenly he was cut off, not only from the honor of others, but from being near others. But God set him gloriously free when he followed God's command to take seven dips in the river, in the Jordan River, and he was made whole. God completely healed him as he responded in obedience. And I believe he had a celebration. I believe if he did have a Baptist tendency to him, that left at least for a moment as he felt the glorious power of freedom and forgiveness. And then we met a servant girl who should have been bitter, at least by our standard, as she was taken from her home, as she was thrust into a role of serving her enemy. We don't really know specifics of what happened to her family, but she certainly, at least in my eyes, have some doubts of, God, do you really love me? Why am I here? And yet, she showed love, she showed true compassion. She showed true faith in God. She's quite an example. Well, today we're going to look at another character in 2 Kings chapter 5. And he is not a glowing example of a true follower of God. He, instead of seeking God's kingdom, sought out this kingdom. As a matter of fact, his prison was greed. Now, there, there certainly are times for all of us in God's kingdom to become sidetracked, and instead of living for His kingdom, God's kingdom, and seeking His kingdom, we find ourselves trapped or sinking in a longing, a desire for this kingdom. Anyway, that's what we're going to look at this morning. But for our text this morning, it's 2 Kings 5, 15 through 27. But I'm going to read just a portion of that. I want to read uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. So if you will stand with me in God's honor, I want to read from the text. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the lord but may the lord forgive your servant for this one thing when my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down and he's leaning on my arm and i bow there also 
when I bow down the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Let's pray. God asks us today, is everything all right, my child? Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. May we come clean. May we be honest before you as we look at the account of this servant, this possible prophet in the waiting and training. God, although he was around a godly man, that did not make him a godly man. And Father, although around us there may be some walking with you, that doesn't mean we are walking with you. You know our hearts, God. And this morning, we want to meet you. Lord, we have come uh, not merely to see each other, we've come to see Jesus. And so I ask that as this service continues, that the Holy Spirit would be evident here. I ask that you would speak not because of me, but in spite of me, that we might hear your voice and be drawn to you. Thank you for allowing us to sing to you, to pray to you, uh, to be reminded of, uh, as the children were, Lord, of the importance, Father, of following you. And, and so, Lord, I, I just ask that you might speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Aesop's Fables. Many of us uh, have heard of Aesop. He was a Greek writer, certainly well known in his day, and many children's stories attributed to him. And I want to share with you, uh, there is an ancient story that Aesop served as a lawyer, and he represented a corrupt politician. And uh, in his representation... Before the court, he told a story, another Aesop fable, about a fox. And I'll read it to you. He said, a certain fox was troubled by fleas and other animals to ask if they could help remove them. The fox replied, no, these fleas are full and can no longer take my blood. If you killed them, new hungry fleas will come. So gentlemen of the jury, if you put my wealthy client to death, Others will only come along who are not yet rich and will rob you completely. The jury let him free. Now, another story of old in Greek times of a woman, beautiful woman, named Atlanta. And many men pursued her, and she was a swift runner. And so she gave out an invitation. She said, if any man can outrun me, I will marry him. But if they fail to outrun me, they will be executed. Whew. Things you would do for love, right? And so uh, a number of guys tried to race her in a foot race, and they lost, and they were executed. But there was one sly guy named Hippomenes. And Hippomenes, he came up with a plan. He crafted three gold apples, 
and then he raced Atlanta, and she took off. She got ahead of him, and he took one of those apples out of his pocket, and he rolled it in front of her, and she stopped, and she saw that shiny apple, and she picked it up, and you know what happened? Epimenes went right by her. A little while later, of course, she called up, and she passed him again. He took out that second apple, and he rolled it in front of her, and once again, that apple caught her gaze, and she slowed down to pick up the apple, and you got it. Epimenes went by her again. And one last time, getting near the end of the race, she's ahead. You know what happened. He took that last apple, and she couldn't resist. And of course, when she stopped to pick up the apple, he barely crossed the finish line ahead of her. And the story goes that they were happily married. Now, that might be legend. <laughs> uh, but in this case, certainly... The one who was fastest didn't win. Why? Because they were distracted. They saw something that took them off course and caused a problem. Guys, we too can be distracted and taken off course. We have a calling in Jesus Christ. It is a calling to follow Him and to love Him and to demonstrate that love by loving one another. And when we become trapped by this world, when we become enslaved by greed, which is I want more instead of I want Christ, we become distracted. I want to start out here with a New Testament warning from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And what a great scripture um, to speak up this, about this subject. Uh, starting with verse 6, we read, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that a great verse? In other words, if you are content with what God has provided you, life's good, man. You're not sitting in anxiety over what you don't have. You're saying, God, thank you for what I do have. Then he goes on in the text, For we have brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. You know the old saying, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It is certainly not about the contents of this world, ultimately. Next verse, he says, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that uh, identifies two leading causes of discontentment here when you what you have hanging in your closet and how big you wish your closet was now goes on in the text beginning in verse 9 he says people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap notice he doesn't say here in the scripture that some people who want to get rich no he says all everyone who wants to get rich that it is a trap it is a snare instead he tells us clearly that there is this longing and this desire that sets us off course and notice as the text goes on in verse 9 describes the destination of that he says that they will be plunged into ruin and destruction 
as they chase these foolish and harmful desires. And then verse 10, which we've heard so often, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money is a root of all kinds of evil, but it is the love of money. It is pursuing money. It is pursuing the things of this earth, this kingdom, above the kingdom of God that gets us in to trouble and he tells us on in verse 10 he says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs they have found trouble and they have found a type of prison because they have sought now instead of eternity Cyprian an early church father He saw this even in the early church, this uh, longing for this world instead of pursuit for God. They were at odds with one another. And I want to share with this is from what he wrote. He said, their possessions hold them in chains, chains which shackle their courage and choke their faith and hamper their judgment and throttle their souls. They think of themselves as owners. Whereas it is they rather who are owned, enslaved as they are to their own things, and they are not the master of their money, but its slave. And then just a couple of more verses going on in the text here. He tells us, verse 11, But you, man of God, flee from all this. Run away from it. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness fight the good fight of the faith the word literally tells us it it speaks of pursue it talks about agonize in other words may this be a consuming passion of your life not this world not the love of money but but when was the last time you heard someone say my passion in life is to be righteous, is to be godly, is to be a man or woman of faith, is to be a person who demonstrates clearly the love of God in Christ Jesus to others. You know, my agonizing passion in life is to endure until I get to heaven, to stay faithful to Jesus, to walk with Him, no matter what circumstances may come my way, and to do this with gentleness not to be shoving people out of the way, not to be knocking people down to get ahead, but to do this in the understanding that my God has me. I am not going to run over other people in order to find what I need. I'm going to trust my God. And so he closes, he says, fight the good fight of the faith. That is to be the pursuit. And now that brings us to our text today. This Old Testament case that is before us. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Naaman, he had managed to pull together all of his financial resources. I believe probably what he did was sell everything that he could. He liquidated it because he wanted to impress the man of God. He thought, man, if I bring him this big sum of money, if I bring him enough, he will heal me. He will be impressed. He will be moved to Take away this leprosy. And so he gathered together 
a sum of money and he put it in his chariot. And one commentator said that they believed it would be equal to like $1.2 million in, uh, today. Now, I don't know exactly what it's worth, but the point is, it was a lot of money. And so, Elisha said to him, I'm not going to take your money. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to make the point. This is not about me, Naaman. It is not about what I want. This is about God and how great he is. And that he does love and want to heal. This is ultimately about him. But as we look at Elisha's servant, we discover a man who had his eyes not just set on God's kingdom, but set on getting some of that money, getting some of that treasure that his master, Elisha, passed up. Uh, in verses 19 and 20 of our text, Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, here comes Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God. And Gehazi said to himself, My master, he's too easy on Naaman, this Aramean. By not accepting from him what he brought, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and I will get something from him. Now, to begin with, I want to say something about this guy Gehazi. He was the attendant of Elisha. That meant that he was to attend to his needs. That meant he was to be there to help him in God's work, in God's call. As you look at attend attendance, do you remember who Elijah's attendant was? It was Elisha. So in other words, Gehazi was a guy that others had looked at and thought, this may be God's man. This may be who will one day take Elisha's place. This is a guy who is gifted. This is a guy who appears to have a heart for God. And therefore, this is a guy that I think we should support. And so certainly, there are those who believe that Gehazi had in his mind, one day, I'll be the man. <laughs> One day, I'll be the one who speaks for God. But yet, as we look at Gehazi's life, there are some warning signs as we look in our text that tell us that he was not what he appeared to be. That there were some weaknesses in his spiritual armor that would be visible. And, and we'll look at just a couple of these. Um, let me just mention, remember Judas... And it, one of the stories where it tells us that a woman had bro uh, broken the alabaster jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' feet. And it says that Judas was complaining about the amount of waste and what was spent. And, it, you know, it was just a, a glimpse of where Judas's heart really was and where his mind really was. And we're going to look at two areas here that I believe give us a similar glimpse of Gehazi. First is powerlessness. Uh, look with me in the prior chapter, chapter 4, verse 31. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response 
So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, The boy has not awakened. Elisha had given to his attendant, his servant, his staff, which was representative of Elisha's ministry and connection to the living God. And Elisha's assumption was because he has this staff and he is going for me and he is a servant of God, that when he places this on the boy, then he will heal, the boy will be healed. But that's not what happened. There was no power that came forth. The boy was not healed, and it ended up Gehazi had to go back to Elisha. His task failed, and now we have a glimpse as to why. Because his heart wasn't really right. He was playing the part of being this great spiritual leader, but he wasn't really right with the living God inside. He wasn't really listening to the voice of God or following God. Instead, he had his eyes somewhere else. Secondly is faithlessness. This is the second sign. Look at verse 43 of chapter 4, if we catch a glimpse of this. How can I set this before a hundred men? His servant Elisha asked. The context of this is that there were a hundred people that needed food and there was not enough food. And so uh, Elisha had given Gehazi a command that, the, you know, and God would take care of it. But Gehazi, he comes back and he says, you know, uh, master, uh, teacher, what you're asking me to do, this is going to make me look stupid. And I don't want to leave and try to do something that can't be done and people say, what a joke he is. So Gehazi's attention, it was really upon himself. His faith in God was not there. He was thinking about how others would view him, how others would see him when he said this. He did not want to be made a fool. Now, when you pull these two clues together, his powerlessness, his faithlessness, you see that he was becoming more and more open to the attacks of the tempter instead of walking close to God. Instead of walking in faith, instead of walking in the power that God intended for him to have. In his mind, walking by the word of God, listening to God and to the servant and the mouthpiece of God it wasn't enough. And so what did he do? He said, man, I've been doing this. I have been right beside Elisha, and I think I deserve some of that money that's on that chariot that is exiting out of here that Naaman has. So I'm going to go get it. Now, let's get back to chapter 5. And I want you to notice uh, something here about Gehazi as he opens up in uh, verse 20 of chapter 5. Gehazi, the, after Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. One commentator pointed out that 
his response, it inferred how he really felt about Naaman. Naaman was the Syrian commander who was an enemy of Israel. And so what he was really communicating was, God, I don't really understand why you would heal that guy. He is our enemy. And I mean, at the very least, somebody ought to benefit out of his healing. And I could use some of the money, God. I could use some of these riches that he brought with him. He goes on in verse 20. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him. He said, so he, he took off on that sprint, chasing him down. And one commentator wrote it this way. He, he said, um, greed is that passion that makes all men like Gehazi run. People are everywhere, out of breath, in their race for more. Notice he hurried after Naaman. He's off track, he, he's, he's, he's spotted the golden apple, and, and he's chasing after that golden apple and, instead of chasing after the kingdom of God. And then he comes face to face with a question. It says that when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything's all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Now, I want you to notice, this guy lies. First, is everything all right? Everything's not all right. He wants some of the money that you still got in that chariot. And secondly, he said, my master sent me. Elisha had nothing to do with this. Nothing at all. And then he goes on to weave another lie. Well, there's this company of prophets, and, you know, they need this. And, you know, since I'm God's servant, I want to take this to these needy prophets. And, 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 you know, we'd really appreciate your donation, sir, you know, <laughs> if, if you would uh, just give. But none of this is true. This is really all a con so that Elisha can get the money. And I want you to notice uh, Naaman's response. He says, verse 23, By all means, take two talents. And he urged Gehazi to accept them, tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing, gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. Now, I, I kind of looked this up to see what a talent of silver would be worth, and um, I'm sure that changes day to day, but somewhere around $550. So what we're talking here is like $1,100. So now we know what Gehazi's integrity is worth. It is worth $1,100. And so a question I guess to always ask ourselves, what can we be bought for? You know, what may be the amount? All right, let, let's move on here. The importance of Elisha's refusal. You know, Elisha had refuses, refused to accept any money, anything of this kingdom. Why? Why did he do that? And I, I want to look at 
uh, several reasons here. The first reason is that Elisha wanted to testify to the free gift of God's forgiveness. And that is so true. You do not earn God's forgiveness. It is not based on how well you perform for God. It's God's free gift. Now, let's not mistake this. When I say free, I don't mean it's cheap. It costs Jesus the cross. It's extravagantly expensive. But we don't earn it, guys. And I believe one of the reasons Elisha refused to accept anything from Naaman was he was trying to make the point, you don't need this world, you need what the Heavenly Father can give you. You need the forgiveness that God alone can provide you. And of course we know through the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, what is needed is the message of the cross. And the Bible says, for those who are perishing, it's foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And, and guys, that's why we are here. That's why we meet, because we believe in the transformative power of the cross, of the work of Jesus Christ. And when he said, it is finished, he meant that victory is available to all who will place their faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrected one, the one who is interceding for us at all times, and the one who will carry us to heaven. All right, secondly, i got to move on. His refusal clearly promoted gratitude to God instead of gratitude to God's servant. Sometimes uh, that gets confused. Sometimes people think, well, you, you have to join a particular church or you have to be baptized or you have to follow a, a certain charismatic leader in the church or uh, in a Bible study TV or you have to give a certain amount of money or you, you have to, have to, have to, have to, but that is not the scripture. That is not God. Our attention, our worship, our loyalty is to God and to God alone. You know what makes the Holy Spirit happy? When you worship Jesus. When you worship Jesus, he gets excited. People say, well, how do we get the Holy Spirit in our church? How do, how do, we, how do we make the Holy Spirit welcome? You know how to make the Holy Spirit happy? You worship Jesus. I mean, let the praise go. Love him with all of your heart. You see, guys, we are here. You are not the audience, and I'm the celebrity. No, we are all the audience, and, and we are giving the praise to Jesus. I've got that wrong. Jesus is the audience, not us. We're, we're the participants. And we are giving glory to Him. He is our audience to which we are to give praise. Okay, let's, uh, we're going to look at Gehazi gets caught here. As one commentator said, they might not have called him with his hand in the cookie jar, but he had crumbs all over his face. Uh, verse 24 and 25, when Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants, put them away in the house. He sent them in away, and they left. 
Then he went in and stood before his master, Elisha. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. Um, your servant didn't go anywhere. Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, or men servants and maid servants? He's nailed. Elisha, it had been revealed to him where Gehazi had been. And he was trying to give him a chance to come clean, to repent. And you know what? God revealed to Elisha the truth. The Holy Spirit, he knows. He knows where you are. He knows where you've been. He knows where he wants you to be. And he's calling to each of us today, turn to me. Turn from sin. Turn to Christ. This moment, today, find hope, find forgiveness. Verse 26, it goes, Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you? And then he, he goes on. He, you know, what did, what did he really receive? He received, some, he received those talents. He received two sets of clothing. But as you notice, Elisha, he went on to give a more detailed list of things he had not received. He mentioned olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and, and servants or slaves. Why do you say they didn't receive that? Because Elisha knew what was in Gehazi's heart. He knew the truth that Gehazi was seeking this kingdom. Guess what? Not God's kingdom. And he wanted to give him a chance to change his tune. Now, notice what happened in the text here, verse 27. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous as white as snow. Now, we read last week, as you read in the Gospels, that Jesus said, Naaman was the only one in that day healed of leprosy. So what does that tell us? Gehazi spent the rest of his days as a leper. Man, you know, you first look at that and you think, God, that is really harsh. God, that's kind of mean. That's kind of cruel. Where's the mercy? One commentator commented on this. I thought this was good. He said, it is possible that it would be easier for Gehazi the leper to come to repentance than Gehazi the thief. All right, we've got to get some application here to close out this message. I want to look at three applications here. First lesson, friendships with spiritual people do not guarantee spirituality. Just because you hang out with people that love Jesus does not guarantee you love Jesus. Just because you have an association doesn't mean you have a possession of Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life. And we can play church and not be the church. Scary stuff. We can play church and not be the church. 
um, a couple of years ago. That I like to. Uh, there's a couple of preachers I like to listen to, like if I'm in the car, and I'll cut on the radio, one of the Christian stations. And, and I noticed a couple of years ago, this guy was no longer on in my familiar time slot. And I thought, what happened? Where's my preacher, you know? Well, little research, little investigation. And I, I found out um, that something happened in the ministry in which he served, the church he served in. And he was uh, taking money out of the ministry of the church and enriching himself. And so as a response, obviously, he was taken off the airwaves and he resigned from his church. Man, in this guy, I'm thinking, man, I'd like to hear this guy, you know. Take some stuff and learn some stuff. Get some points I always use. Like Chuck Swindoll used to say, all's fair in love, war, and preaching. Well, you know, something. But man, I like to listen to this guy. And it broke my heart. What happened to him? The gold apple came by. And he picked it up. And of course, there are others that we think about. You know, the, the Jim Baker scandal, and you know, long ago and... And there are other stories that we hear that are heartbreaking, and I don't want to start naming names of people. I certainly wouldn't want anybody naming my stuff, my sin, right? But the point of the matter is, none of us are invincible. We could all fall. Even though we may feel strong in the Lord, that doesn't mean we will stay strong in the Lord. We need to intentionally seek Him. One more. Uh, this is an article I found. It was a president of, a Miss, of Mississippi Christian College. It was the second oldest Baptist college in America. Uh, this article talked about him facing trial for embezzling $3 million over 15 years from the college. He tried to flee when he was supposed to show up uh, for a trial. And they found him the day after the trial in a lavish San Francisco hotel with $25,000 cash in his pocket. He was seized, and he collapsed and went into a seizure. He had uh, prepared for that, and he had poison that he took in order to try to take his life. Uh, they got him in the hospital, saved his life, but he had a seizure and a stroke as a result of that seizure. Why do we play games with God? God can see through, and yet we do it. Man, I'm so glad, though, he says, if you come, I'll fix it. You know, so. One, uh, Warren Wearsby shares uh, this response. This, this kind of got me up when I read this. He said, I'm going to share this. You know, let me tell you something about preaching, though. When you preach, before I do this, here's what happens. Bam. It's me first a lot of times. If it don't, I probably need to repent and get up. You know? <laughs> but anyway, here's Wiersbe's words. For centuries, the church has been telling the world to repent. In our century, the world has begun telling the church to repent. Instead of the church pointing its finger at the world, the world is pointing its finger at the church. Following Gehazi.
I don't know where you are. I, I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your golden apple is that you're distracted by in your longing to be with Christ. But let me tell you, Jesus went to the cross for all of it. There is no sin. There is no temptation. There is no golden apple distraction that is too big for the forgiveness found on that cross that Jesus hung on. When he said it is finished, he meant that forgiveness was available to everyone regardless of what it is you need forgiveness for. Whatever greed, whatever pursuit of that which is not God, he will forgive. He just requires you to come in faith and turn to Christ. And he says when you do that, you get a new start. That's one of the things I always love about Christianity. I like new starts. Cindy and I have these uh, phone games. Now, this is probably going to hurt my 25% down screen time. But we have these phone games that we play most each morning. And sometimes I'll start that thing and I mess up. And sometimes I have to restart that thing three or four times. But if I do it enough times, <laughs> I eventually get good at it. And I get a better score than I knew I was headed for. So I like new starts. And much better than winning a game or, you know, being good at a game is being forgiven. His forgiveness is available. Let's pray and let's respond to God's Spirit. Lord, thank you for another chance to hear from your word, to be reminded of your work and that our hope is based upon your work and not our own. And Father, may the pursuit be of the one who has pursued us all the way to Calvary. And God, as we come, we come with hearts that are open to you. Lord, just work in us. And Father, this world needs to see you and may we... Lord, not be a distraction, but may we be the invitation. Lord, we love you, we need you, have your way. Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing, I have decided to follow Jesus.